So uh, I'm going to talk today uh, about what I consider the hard part of doing the lean startup, of actually doing it, not of understanding it, but what's hard about actually doing it. Uh, and I've sort of been around these ideas for a while. I've tried to do them myself. I sort of ran across Eric's blog early. Uh, I've tried to convince other people to do them, people who, for whom I worked, uh, people who I uh, consult with. Um, and the, what I'm going to talk about today is sort of hard in sort of two ways. It's hard in that it's tricky. It's a thing I see people kind of screw up. Uh, people who think they're applying these ideas, um, but end up sort of not applying them well and not succeeding. But I also mean hard in a different way. I mean emotionally hard. I mean difficult to do. And those two end up being related. So this is very much about sort of the human side of doing this stuff. Okay. I'm going to talk sort of broadly about two kinds of things. Uh, and the first one, I'm going to start with a story uh, about optimism. Uh, and this is a story about a, a most promising startup. This is a, a startup that a good friend of mine, who's a product manager, uh, went to work at. And this is a software startup. I'm a programmer. Uh, and this startup had sort of everything going for it. Uh, it, it had uh, two founders who worked in, a, uh, in an industry that they knew super well. That industry had a lot of money. Uh, that industry had a lot of problems. And it had one problem in, in particular that they had really honed in on, that everyone told them you know, how, how urgent it was. They had a really good team. My friend was really good. Um, sort of everything, good funding, all that stuff. Uh, and as you can probably tell from this setup, um, about 18 months later, they'd completely failed, right? They'd gone out of, that's not surprising for a startup, right? Um, but they'd gone out of business. No one had ever used their software in any form. Um, and there was a lot of unhappiness. Uh, and everyone had to sort of move on. Um, and uh, it's not surprising. Um, it's a startup. But um, I want to talk about uh, sort of what went wrong. Uh, and I'm going to do that in two ways. First, I'm going to tell the founder's story, uh, the CEO, who my friend worked very closely with. And his story was that they basically had this great vision for solving this problem, this, this urgent problem they had identified. Um, but they were kind of ahead of the market. It was a very conservative market. People weren't quite ready for it. Uh, and it just didn't quite click. And they, gave a, they took a good shot at it, but they just couldn't quite make it work. Okay, that's a story you may have heard before. You may have told yourself that story. Um, I'm going to give you a different story, my version of the story, also known as the truth. I am perfectly reliable in all ways. Um, so that was a, that founder was like profoundly allergic to reality. Like he did not want to face reality at all. He was terrified of it. He had this vision, and any bad news that would sort of make it suggest that that vision wasn't going to work, or that he'd have to adjust that vision, he would just not see it. He would sort of turn it into good news. And my friend talked about being on phone calls with him with prospects, where he would describe, you have this problem, they'd be like, yes, we totally have this problem. He would describe this solution, and it was super clear that they weren't interested at all. They would make some idle pleasantry, and she would see him after the call fix on that one idle pleasantry and turn it into good news, and go off and tell his team and his board how validating this had been. And he used that word. He was into sort of lean startup ideas, and he believed he was doing them. Okay. Now, there's a critical, and this, of course, doomed the startup completely. Like, they, they had no chance of succeeding because they weren't adjusting to the reality of what was going on. Now, there's a critical point of the story. The point of this story is the following The founder was not stupid. I'm not telling you a story about other people um, who are really dumb because they don't come to this conference and they're not smart and attractive like us, right? Um, this is a story about all of us. This is something that we all do. Now, and we all do it in sort of different degrees. He sort of did it to an outsized degree. Um, but what I'm talking about is sort of a thing that we all fall prey to. And you actually heard it a little bit in the, the speakers before me. So to explain how we all do this, I want to give you a different sort of definition of the lean startup, of what it's like to do the lean startup. 
Um, it's a series of unpleasant encounters with reality, and it's not fun. <laughs> like, basically, you have this idea, and you have this vision, and you build all these great things off of it. Even if you try not to, your mind does this. Your mind's like, oh, these great things are going to happen. It's just a question of where I'm going to spend all the money or whatever. You know, it's a thing. Um, and then like, you, you do the lean start, and you take it out to reality, and it just falls apart. I like to describe it, frankly, as reality just like pees all over your ideas. <laughs> it's just awful. And it really is unpleasant. It's not even in this room, it sounds exciting. But in the moment, it's really hard, especially if you're a leader and you feel like you've gotten the team there and sort of your promises. Um, so you have sort of two options. Human beings have sort of two options in these situations. Option one is you face the unpleasant reality, which is also known as like, I was wrong. This vision isn't going to work. My plan isn't correct, whatever. But there's another option, which is you can kind of interpret reality differently, also known as this isn't really bad news, right? That was one call. Well, there's that customer's not quite ready to buy right now, but you could tell how excited they were about our product, right? Um, and there's all these ways you can sort of, because reality is never sort of unambiguous. So the news I want to tell you is we all choose B. <laughs> like, seriously. All of us. Like, I'm not, this is not a theoretical thing. Like, this is what we all do. And I've sort of set it up in a way that's different from how it, it happens when you say it. You know, I set it up as in reality's just told you no, and you pretend yes. And that's not at all how it works. What happens is you get sort of signals from reality. You could hear that in some of the, the sort of uh, talks from just before me. That you, you get, well, there's people said this, and then we saw this other thing. And what your mind does is you tell yourself a story, you fit it into a narrative. Uh, and that's actually how we understand the world. We don't understand the world as a set of numbers or, or sort of data points. We understand it as, an, as a narrative, and we can fit a lot of stuff into a narrative. And there's a critical thing about the stories we tell ourselves, which is in the stories we tell ourselves, we look awesome. <laughs> like, and that's not fixable. Like, that's part of what this is, what we all do. We walk around creating this sort of heroic narrative where um, we're sort of of goodwill and smart and people like us and, and we're looking out for, you know, we're trying to do the right thing, et cetera. Uh, and we can sort of effortlessly fit data and information and infos into these stories because um, we're super good at that. And this is what I call self-deception. And this is something that's been studied in psychology kind of a lot. Um, and it's super dangerous at a startup, right? Because you need to face bad news all the time. And if, in fact, you can tell yourself stories where you, you don't have to face the bad news, you're going to do that. Okay, so I want to tell you, like, I do this. This is not a story about other people. Uh, and there's a point early in my career, which was very marked for me, which really got me started thinking about this. I was handed a project and sort of given a lot of authority, and this, this specific person, this guy sort of hired me to do this. Uh, and, you know, in retrospect, Right off the bat, it was clear that things were not going well. But I ignored all of that. And I was like, oh, it's going to be fine. It's great. I told the guy, things are going to come together. It's, it's totally great. This particular project, um, it had the nature where there was like a moment where that all fell apart. That does, sometimes it sort of fades away. This was not that kind. This was the kind where there was like a moment. I was sitting there, and it became clear that everything I'd been saying wasn't true. And I remember the guy who hired me looking at me, I can remember this actually quite vividly, uh, looking at me across the room with like dismay and anger as sort of like what I had been telling him was false. And I did a lot of soul searching afterwards about what had happened. Um, and the bad news was, it really, oops, sorry, it felt really normal. <laughs> um, and in fact, I blame evolution for this, which I'll get to in a sec. So um, the, uh, it didn't feel like a different project to me. Um, it felt like, yeah, I'd been kind of stressed out and worried, but I was often stressed out and worried. Um, and that's, really, that's a really important thing to think about, and I want you to think about it, which is when you do this bad behavior I'm describing, there's no red flag in your mind. You, you know, this is part of the whole point of this system, and this is where revolution comes in, is to sort of make it possible for you to present yourself as nice and successful and all this other stuff to other people, 
and not have any doubts about it. That's part of what evolution wants you to do. Um, if that's of interest to you, I, I encourage you to read Steven Pinker, that's from whom I learned a lot of this stuff. Um, but it's very dangerous, um, uh, sort of at a startup. Okay, so what do you do? Because, as I said before, I, I see people, like this isn't a theoretical thing. I see people get tripped up by this all the time. Um, and you could hear the sort of painful process that people who spoke before me had to go through to kind of get past this. Um, so maybe you're thinking the answer is, no problem, we should stop telling ourselves stories, right? We should use data and yada yada, you know, like, so good luck, you know, that's totally not going to work. Um, and there's two reasons it won't work. Um, one is, like, and I love Dan's slide about uh, being data driven, like, in fact, I saw that presentation online and as my sister described as well, I was like, oh my god, like, it's exactly right. Like, if you've been around startups and you've been around people who like data, you've perhaps been in some meetings where people seem to be picking out of the data things that support their preconceived notions, right? Has that ever happened? Anyone in this room say? Um, you know, like so. That happens all the time. Like, you know, data is incredibly powerful and useful. You have to be super disciplined about how you use it, as, as sort of Dan described. And as you could hear in his talk, that forced him and a lot of people on his team to face a bunch of stuff about themselves they didn't want to face. Most people don't end up facing that stuff. They mostly avoid it. Um, the other thing is, literally, you can't stop telling yourself these stories because it's what we as human beings do. It's how we understand the world. It's just kind of going on all the time. I'm doing it right now. We're all doing it right now. So there is a thing I think you can do, which is to tell yourself different stories, to try to sort of use this feature of human cognition um, for good rather than evil. Um, and so there's a template for a story you have to tell yourself for this to work. <laughs> and this template is, I'm awesome because X, <laughs> right? Like your stories have to feature you as kind of the hero if, if this is gonna kind of work at all. And so what you wanna change from is like, I'm awesome because my vision is so brilliant. Like that's what makes me so great. The founder who I described earlier, that's exactly what his story of himself was. He loved thinking of himself as a visionary. He used that word a lot. Um, so you, that, like, that totally dies. Like, you cannot have that as a story about yourself because you will fit into that. He fit into that story all this bad news as like, just like, delays on the road to ultimate success, which he still thinks he's going to get to someday. Um, so I try this one. I, like, I try a couple of I try to like, I'm awesome because I learn so fast. And you know, I'm awesome because I face bad news really well. It's like a weird thing to value in yourself. But like, I try to do that. Um, and I think you should try to do this too. Like find some narrative that you can hold to. And what you need to do is hold on to that in the hard times. And so what I want you to kind of do a little bit now and leaving from now is think about this a bit. So you can start to notice when you do this and start to think about prepare yourself that when you get into those hard times that you have something you can kind of hold on to. So you can sort of be like, oh, this is like, this is awful, and especially awful. I have to go to my team with this bad news or, or whatever. And to sort of be able to hold on to some story about why that's okay. Why that's okay because you're super good at learning stuff, because you're, you know, following the, the bad news. Whatever it is, I feel like having a story where you can fit facing bad news into the story is a very powerful way to sort of succeed as a startup leader. Okay, so that's sort of the first form of self-deception. There is no bad news. <laughs> that's the first one. Now I'm gonna talk about the second one. Uh, I'm gonna talk about this one also in the context of a story. Um, this is a story about, uh, again, largely true story, um, about office politics. Uh, and this is about a startup that um, had a problem and was facing it. So this is sort of different. Before we had a startup that was sort of pretending there was no problem. Uh, and this startup had, had hit a certain level of success. Again, it's a software startup. That's sort of my world. Um, and they'd hit a certain level of success, but they were really having trouble going beyond that. And it was clear to everybody, they talked to customers, they knew it internally, that their software was lacking certain sort of key capabilities and features, right? This is not uncommon. We got to point A, but we need to get past it, and the software just doesn't do the things we need to do. Um, 
And they hired a manager, uh, and he built up a team that was engaged in this sort of somewhat ambitious rewrite of their software that would enable all these great new capabilities. Okay. I'm going to tell the stories, my version first. Truth first, um, which is uh, this great thing for the company happened, which is a junior programmer on another team discovered a clever way to give the features and capabilities without the whole rewrite. They could actually kind of give that stuff right away. They could get it out to customers in a sort of rough form, but really quick. It was extremely good news um, for the company that they could do this. It's a very clever sort of junior guy. Now, I'm going to ask you, um, I want you to imagine, what do you think the manager who is leading this ambitious rewrite, which had so far delivered nothing, um, what do you think his reaction was to this discovery from someone not on his team that maybe they didn't need to be doing this rewrite at all? Phenomenal hostility, right? <laughs> like, I mean, if you've ever worked with a human being, you know this is what happens, right? And he proceeded to do a lot of really kind of what I consider kind of nasty political stuff to try to get it shut down. He talked to them, that, per, that junior programmer's manager and tried to get them reassigned. Uh, he tried to talk to people across the company to sort of gather, to sort of block this. And ultimately, he did largely, though not entirely, block it by going to his own manager and threatening to quit. Uh, unless he was given authority to keep going down the road he was going down. This is what we describe as office politics. He didn't try to have a, a sort of fair fight for ideas. He tried to use these sort of connections to sort of make things happen his own way. Okay. Has anyone witnessed this sort of behavior? Raise your hand. Totally. No one has ever heard of what I'm talking about now. Okay. Um, now, before, there's a critical point to the story, which was that the, the, the founder in the other story wasn't stupid. There's a critical point to this story, which is there's no cartoon villain, right? This guy didn't wake up in the morning, like cackle and glee, and be like, I'm going to go destroy value at my company, ha, 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 you know, whatever. But he totally was. <laughs> like, I mean, he was incredibly damaged. The company's still there, but it's a little bit limping along, and they had to do some sort of cruddy financing stuff because they were stuck without the new stuff that they needed for so long, thanks to what this guy did. Um, so in order to sort of, because there's no cartoon villains, and because frankly, I believe we are all somewhat, in, we are not infrequently this leader, uh, I want to talk to you about his story. His story was quite simple. This company had profound problems with their software. His team was building something that was going to allow them to grow for the long term. This thing that everyone was being tempted by was going to spackle things over for like a month or two, but then those problems were going to be even worse. Like, he was really saving the company for the future. And he wasn't being political to do that. He just kind of knew how to get things done. Like, that was like what it meant, right? That's a story we may have told ourselves on occasion, <laughs> right? Like, that's not so clear. That's not true. Um, now, I, I will tell you, because again, I know the truth, he was totally wrong. <laughs> like, that was actually it was a terrible idea for the company. Um, I want to do a quick audience poll. Who here has had some position of sort of leadership where you've gotten to choose projects and run things, even a fairly small scale, like a, a small team? Just raise your hand. Great. Okay, put your hands down. Who here, in your position of leadership, feels like one of the main things you did was the sort of political backstabbing that this guy did? <laughs> you are very honest, and I appreciate it. Um, the rest of you, we're totally lying to ourselves, right? <laughs> right? Like, if this is a prevalent behavior that we all recognize, all the, all the mean people did not come to this conference, right? Like, we're those people. Like, we all do this, and we do it without knowing it. And I tell you this, like, I am certain that I do this, and I have tremendous pride. Like, I build my self-image around the sense that I am sort of apolitical, and I follow the, the best possible idea for the company, and I'm relentless in my pursuit of that, and I work with all sorts of different people to achieve that, and I am super proud of that. And I can promise you, I can name some people who will tell you that I am full of crap. 
And that, in fact, I get fixated on my own solution to things, uh, and that I won't let go of those, and I sort of fight for them by, you, you know, what I consider, I connect to people across the whole business, because I'm really extroverted and nice, and that's so great. Um, they will tell you he's super political, and we'll try to get things blocked by, you know, in these inappropriate ways outside of his actual job. Um, I think those people are totally wrong. Yeah, so um, I'm both an awesome employee and kind of a mixed bag as an employee, because I really want to do what I think is right. So these things are really tough. Like we, and this was, again, these are super damaging things that I see not just in these two stories, but when I work with startups or you know, at startups, over and over again, I see these problems really profoundly tripping people up who think they're doing the lean startup uh, approach, but end up getting sucked into these things. So for the second one, which I think is really has to do with the reason it's really happening, is a sort of nasty intersection of leadership and uncertainty. And the, what's going on there is I think that for this guy and for a lot of people, almost by default, there's this very powerful thing, which is that leadership is defined as, I've come up with a plan, right? We, you know, like, unlike the first story, we, we've, we have a problem, we know we have a problem, I've come up with a plan. We're going to go do it. That's my job as a leader, right? But the problem with that is changing the plan makes me look bad. That's like, like that calculus, I come up with plans, changing the plans makes me look bad, is incredibly powerful, much more powerful than you can sort of imagine sometimes just sitting here. Like once you're given authority and you start telling people what to do, it's very natural to feel like changing what you've told people to do is going to weaken your authority as a manager. That's what happened to this guy. His status was totally wrapped up in having been right about this plan. And at a startup, that's super dangerous. Fixed plans in the face of uncertainty is like guaranteed failure. You have to change the plan a lot. Um, and so what do, you, what do you do? So my sort of answer for this, this is what I sort of aspire to doing myself, and I've seen some people do this well, is to move the sort of central job of leadership away from plans and towards questions. Um, and so one way to say this is to redefine leadership as being, um, there's this, here's this awesome vision. Here, I want to inspire you with where we're trying to get. And I'm going to tell you, I as a leader am going to lead by defining a series of risks. Here's all the things that are going to hold us back from achieving this. Here's all the questions we have to answer. The great thing about this style of leadership um, is that the flip side is discovering problems makes you look good, right? You're no longer threatened by new information because what you've done is said, here's where we're trying to get. I'm helping to set this sort of vision, this sort of thing we're inspired by, and I've defined all the stuff that we need to worry about. If there's something new we need to worry about, fantastic, let's do it. If someone comes up with a clever new solution that I hadn't thought of, awesome. I'm still, I still sort of look good. Um, and this doesn't mean you can't propose solutions, it just means you're not as invested in them. Um, I call this sort of leading by owning the questions. You, you direct the team by setting them challenges, and you still own whether or not they fully solve those challenges. Ideally, you set it up so they can tell for themselves, but you don't, you don't try to own the plan. Okay, I want to leave you with a parting thought, uh, which is all the stuff I just talked about, I feel like at some level it sounds kind of simple, uh, and it's like weird, like tell yourself this story or you know, redefine leadership in your head. Um, it's all really hard. What you're essentially doing is going against uh, sort of the habits that we have as sort of humans. Um, and I, part of, I keep referring back to them, what I liked about the stories before mine is you, you heard both of them talking, um, uh, about uh, Dan and, and Margot both, uh, talking, about, and you could hear them say it, how difficult it was to face their own failures. Right? And I really want you to understand that this is, you're not going to want to do this. And, and Dan's point, that everyone being like, so we did our first A-B test, and it kind of shows that we're not that smart, 
maybe we should stop doing A-B testing, right? Like, that sounds so, it's like, ha, ha, ha. No, no, like, that's exactly what you're going to do, right? And, and you're totally going to do that because you're going to be like, well, the A-B test, well, it wasn't definitive. We should really, like, man, we'll run another one when we get the right people, and that'll be, like, next week. Oh, man, we really got to finish this bill, and you just never do it again. Like, it's super easy to sort of trick yourself out of doing that. It requires, it's really hard to do this stuff. You have to face stuff in yourself that you'd prefer not to, and you have to sort of face your own failings in a way that mostly we don't want to. But it's totally worth it. And it's totally worth it on two fronts. One is, I think it makes you dramatically more likely to succeed. And I say that partly because these are the ways I see people fail. Um, it's not because they don't understand the tactics or they don't know how to apply them, though that's, those are super interesting things and worth learning more about. It's because they, don't, they get sucked into this stuff so they don't admit that there are problems or they don't admit they need to change their approach to those problems. I also think it's worth it in another way. These leaders who are sort of falling prey to self-deception, at some level, are existing in a state of constant fear. What they're afraid of is that their team is going to turn on them. Like, they basically, and this is, they, they feel like if they have to tell their team, this is, uh, we have this bad news, that their team is going to be demoralized and angry with them. If they have to tell the team, I told you to do X, and it turns out X is valueless and waste, and now we need to do Y, that that's going to be a disaster, and therefore that they can't do that. And so being this kind of leader who's deceiving yourself this way is like living on a treadmill. You're sort of sprinting all the time to stay in place. The flip side is, if you can own these questions and own your own vulnerability and uncertainty and, and sort of encourage the team to go solve problems with you, what you're going to find is the team, in fact, will be incredibly loyal to you. They'll follow you sort of into a fire um, because you're being open with them about the things you don't know. And you're going to find that you can do all that stuff with them with you. And you'll be, end up being sort of supported and close with the people rather than feeling like you're living in fear. And so my, second, my sort of final answer is I want you to do this both because it'll make you more successful, but because I think it'll make you a fuller, kind of happier, human being. Um, and startups are very stressful, so I sort of wanted to leave you with that thought.